well met, travelers, and welcome to the Kinky Tavern. Pull up a stool. What do you have to drink? Here, we aim to extend to all who may seek it disability-centered kink education. In doing so, we're going to be talking about different aspects of BDSM, leather, the kink community, the relationships and dynamics within it, and so much more. All opinions voiced in this podcast are just that, opinions, and they should not be taken as fact or medical advice. We only speak from what we've learned and experienced in our own journeys. And remember, my dear friends, kink is customizable. Consent is the only requirement. Words mean things, but we also give them meaning. Remember, no kink shaming and no judgment. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Exciting announcement. Guess what, guys? We have merch. We all came up with some awesome ideas. M designed them, and Alan set up our store. We have the classic Kinky Tavern logo, as well as some clever and funny sayings from our podcasts or just from our little weird braids. Our designs are available in shirts up to 5X. Now to get a 5X, you have to go to men's and classic, but there are 5Xs, which I'm excited about. We also have hoodies, tapestries, stickers, blankets, mugs, zip pouches, face masks, and more. So check it out. All proceeds go to our education fund, which helps all of us go to cons, go to classes, travel to cons, etc. So anything that you get will be helping us educate ourselves further to bring you more education on the podcast. If you would like to support us or follow us, we are on Patreon at The Kinky Tavern, FetLife, Twitter, and Instagram, all at The Kinky Tavern. I'm also personally on FetLife at mdizzy, E-M-D-I-Z-Z-Y. Please do not friend me on that account. You can definitely follow me and you can friend The Kinky Tavern, but please don't friend me on that one. That's for people I know. I'm also on TikTok at MixDizzySoul. M-X-D-I-Z-Z-Y-S-O-U-L, and on Twitter at Daddy's Dizzy Soul, D-A-D-D-Y-S-D-I-Z-Z-Y-S-O-U-L, and all of those will be linked down below. Yes, and you can also find me on TikTok. Yes, I have a TikTok. I'm never on it, but you can send me stuff at uh, pup underscore Merlin underscore Wrecker, R-E-K-K-R. That is also my FetLife. You can follow me there or message me or whatever. I also run the Kinky Tavern Twitter. So, And I am on FetLife at Alan's World 111. Please do not friend me. Only follow me there. Those are for people that I know. On Instagram, Lord Alan Vidra. That would be L-O-R-D-A-L-L-E-N-V-Y-D-R-A. Twitter at Lord Allen 111. And TikTok, Alan's World 111. Please follow me on TikTok so that I can get to a live. Excellent. So please give us a follow, give us a like, and keep up to date on what we're doing with the Kinky Tavern podcast. The topics within this podcast are explicit. Listeners should be 18 and up only. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Mix Dizzy. And I am Pup Wrecker. And today we are talking about needles and piercing play. Stabby stabs. More like pokey pokes. I mean, jibby jabs. Could be, could be. Jibby jabs. Jibby jibby stabs. Jibby jabs. Yes. <laughs> Trigger warning. Today's episode, by the nature of its topic... We'll be covering some more graphic content. If you are not in a place to handle this kind of discussion right now, please take care of yourself and join us for our next episode. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911. If you need help or assistance with your struggles in trauma or mental health, please don't hesitate to reach out to the mental health hotline at 866-903-3787 or visit mentalhealthhotline.org for access to more free, confidential mental health hotlines and chats. Next, we would like to thank our lovely patrons who have so graciously given their hard-earned money to us to support us and what we're doing. So we have Dopetastic Q, who is a regular of the Kinky Tavern Podcast, and Lady Katarina, who is a regular of the Kinky Tavern Podcast. Yeah, we also have our customers, 
Chris, Moon Goddess, and Sir Quill. Thank you all so much for everything you do. You help us to gain access to some resources that help us to better bring you education. So, thank you so much. And now, back to the episode. Piercing and body modification have been a part of cultures around the world since the beginning of recorded history and likely far beyond. It is important that we acknowledge these cultural practices which come before us, especially those which have been labeled as closed practices by the cultures who practice them. One can practice body modification, piercing, and needle play without appropriating cultures which are not theirs. Just for funsies, because I like history, I threw together some examples of cultures who used piercing throughout history. Yeah, there's quite a few. So our first one is in Genesis 24-22, where Abraham presents Rebecca with a gold nose ring after choosing to betroth her to his son Isaac. This was and still is a common practice throughout the world. The wealth of the family would determine the size of the ring. Much like wedding rings once were, and still may be, the ring could be sold for financial support if a divorce were to occur. Some cultures even believe the piercing would lessen the pain of birth and menstruation. Kind of similarly, sailors throughout history would wear an earring as a type of life insurance, because if they were to die at sea, the earring would pay for the funeral they would need. Hmm. Yeah. There are also some old wives' tales and cultural beliefs outlying demons possessing people through their ears. Metal, such as a piercing, would ward against these demons entering your body. In around 1300 to 1500 AD, religious leaders of the Aztec and Mayan cultures would pierce their tongues as a form of blood sacrifice, as well as to enter an altered state of consciousness where they would be closer to the gods and could even communicate with them. And from what I saw, this didn't seem to be like a pierce and put jewelry in. It was more of a pierce to bloodlet. and mm-hmm. Yeah, you bleed a lot from your tongue. And oh, yeah. If you well, lose a lot it, of blood, you would get to an altered state of consciousness for sure. Yeah. So next we have, oh, there we go. Bringing up Rome again. Pierce nipples have been around from ancient Rome, where it expressed male fellowship and vigor. How often do you think about ancient Rome? It exists, so why not think about it? A lot of stuff happened back then. That's not an answer to my question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ooh, my favorite. Okay. In the 14th century, Francis Queen Isabella popularized these gowns with plunging necklines, which would plunge down to even past the navel. And so people would wear, like, belly button jewelry and nipple jewelry that match their outfits. You're so excited right now. Speaking of nipple piercings, they have actually been suggested by doctors in the past to create a better milk flow and ease breastfeeding mothers. Yep. I found this one really interesting. Ancient Greek warriors would pierce their foreskin so that when they were needing to be more active, such as like playing a sport, or when in battle, they could tie the piercing to the base of their penis to keep it secured and out of the way. How is your dick getting in the way when you're fighting someone? I mean, I would hate to get pulled down into the mud by my dick. True. I feel like it would hurt more, though, if like that still if it happened. it was tied together. And if it was tied... It's kind of what I was just picturing, too. You just made it a handle. Mm-hmm. You've got a handle now. I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> Another one from Greece and Rome, genital piercings would be used to keep slaves from having sex. Yeah, as a way of chastity. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a way that it is used today. Yeah. And I don't think I mentioned that at all in here. No. I don't remember. Now that I think about yeah. it. But yeah, a lot of times people will get genital piercings and will um, have like locks to make sure that Mm -hmm. they're not using their thing without the key holder's permission, so to speak. So it's usually from the male perspective. I have seen it with labia piercings though. Really? And with clitoral piercings. Yeah. Hmm. I know the most common one for chastity um, 
Superman is uh, the Prince Albert. Yeah. Yeah. And with that one, you can actually like size up the hole and just put a lock in it. I have seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So why would someone want to do this? What's the motivation for someone to participate in needle or piercing play? As always, there are many. And we will list just a few. It's cool. It is pretty cool. <laughs> I always wanted snake bites, but I never did it. I always liked piercings. I don't know that now I could get them, but... Yeah, I kind of feel the same. I feel like I'm too old. No, I mean, like, my oh, pain-wise, like, nerve-wise, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm too old to get snake bites. I don't think so. So, we do actually participate in needle play with hypodermic needles. There are two different types with hypodermic needles and with like piercing needles. They're a little bit different, but sometimes the motivations can overlap. For me, it's, I mean, A, blood. I love blood. Mm -hmm. Gotta have the blood. (laughs) B, your reaction. I'm a sadist and I love your reaction. Mm -hmm. It is very intimate and sensual for me. I'm penetrating you, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of find that hot for reasons. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I think it's fun. I can get into subspace really quickly with needles. Sometimes, it, I don't know, I'm weird. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair for anyone to say. Yeah. If they're not in the right headspace to no, yeah. get in the right headspace. <laughs> No, yeah, it's, um, there's the blood, of course, and then the pain is nice. Mm-hmm. I'm a masochist, so I like pain. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I like being in space for a while, mm-hmm. if I can, <laughs> if mm-hmm. my body will let me. <laughs> and when you go to space, you are... I'm loopy as fuck. You are light years away. All right, so some other motivations might be the jewelry. If you're doing actual piercings, which I have done before as a kink scene, I got my industrial done as a kink scene, kind of, mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't it didn't take well. I'm pretty sure if I would have gone to like a piercer, which I mean, I knew I was going to someone that did, you know, that didn't have a professional piercing license. I, I was fully informed. Uh, but I think if I would have gone to someone with a professional piercing license, they probably would have told me that my ear was not the right shape. Mm, yeah, that and, was the issue. Yeah, so it went through way more cartilage and tissue than it ought to have, and yeah. it like never really healed right. And so I ended up just taking out the bar and putting in rings. So I have two separate cartilage piercings, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I'm fine with. But yeah. So there are some downsides to this kind of kink. Potentially, yeah. Yes. Another motivation is the rush that you feel, either as the top or as the bottom, because you're doing something taboo, because you are excited and there's anticipation. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that you might feel a rush, but there's also like the hormone rush, adrenalines and endorphins that are released as you are pierced and as you are kind of stressing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they all kind of mix together to create this wonderful space rush. Yeah. It can be a release for some people. It is also I've also seen a lot, I follow a lot of uh, needle groups or pages on FET, and they do a lot of creative needles work. Mm. Yes. Where they do, like designs and like i've seen there's a lot of really good intricate ones out there and actually i think there's one spot you can buy patterns to like buy and like print out and that's pretty neat yeah it, it, yeah but because um, yeah i've seen some just i'm looking at it kind of like i look at crop circles like how did i i don't <laughs> beautiful yeah mm-hmm. um yeah, it can be. You can do a lot of stuff with needles, um, just creatively, like visually. You can add in a bunch of other stuff to it too. But it can also be like a spiritual thing 
piercing has been used in a lot of different cultures as a religious type thing. I think that the breaking of skin of any type Mm -hmm. brings about some sort of primal instinct in somebody. And that is often used in a lot of spiritual practices. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the science. We've got the skin layers. We've got three layers of skin. We've got the epidermis, which is the outer layer. There's no direct blood supply to this layer. It's made mostly of keratin, actually. And it kind of just protects us from the things around us. It is very thin on our palms and on the bottoms of our feet. That's why those are a little more touch sensitive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Next, we have the dermis, which is underneath the epidermal layer. And this layer has a lot of nerves and blood vessels. This is the layer that will begin to bleed and feel that stingy kind of pain when you get cut or poked Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And then there's the hypodermis. This is the innermost layer, and it is the fatty tissue that is the last layer of skin just before our muscle system. Piercings should not ever go beyond this layer, whether temporary or permanent. Mm -hmm. Safety. Nobody should be topping for this kink without hands-on training and safety and technique training. Yes. In addition, it's best to have someone who knows what they're doing to help you and spot you for the first few scenes you do after that training. Mm -hmm. Yes, it can be very easy to slip and make a big mistake. Yeah. So you don't want to be doing that. No, you do not. And we're going to talk about why. Um, Another type of training that is really preferable is basic first aid and CPR training. And this is just because there's a lot of things that can happen. We're going to go over a lot of things in here that it would be great if the top had basic first aid training and or CPR training. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that if you're doing any kind of medical play or any kind of anything to do with sharps or, I mean, kink in general, to be honest, it's good to have that knowledge just to have it. But yeah, especially with needle play. Yeah, and I know that a lot of dungeons will actually offer like a weekend where they do a CPR and first aid training course that's actually like certified. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, check it out. If not, there's like the Red Cross and stuff like that. So yeah, I think a lot of dungeons like they require that their dungeon monitors be trained or at least have some knowledge of first aid CPR. Yeah, and I think I think that that's a good practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is why improper technique and improper aftercare of wounds can lead to a lot of fucking problems. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there will always be the chance that this kink will cause bleeding beyond the scene, bruising, and even possible scarring. Mm-hmm. I know that from first-hand experience. Yeah. Because I was a emo kid, and I I stuck safety pins in my arms. Oh, you did your arms? Yeah. I did the web in between my thumb and... Oh, God. That sounds horrible. I was self-harming. No, yeah. I mean, I was too. <laughs> like... No, I did, like, the top part of my arm, and actually, I think there's, mm. there's a little... You can see kind of dots there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it got really infected, because I I went really deep, too, and it was like, one side got infected, the other side didn't. But yeah, you can really fuck yourself up if you don't know what you're doing and don't take the proper precautions, because if that had been worse, I could have gotten sepsis, or had to go to the doctor to get treated for that, Mm -hmm. and then I would have had to explain why I was piercing myself with the safety pin (laughs) i got caught in sixth grade because i no seventh grade because i tried to pierce my belly button with it with a one of the bigger safety pins and i couldn't get all the way through and so i just had like this little fucking dot band-aid but the only band-aids we had were those neon ones Mm -hmm. 
And one day I was reaching to get something and my mom saw this neon pink fucking bandaid on my stomach and I was caught. So I ended up having to go get like antibiotics and shit. But that's probably for the best because you can get an infection and it can lead to sepsis and even death. Yeah. Not to mention you can hit a nerve and possibly cause nerve damage. Or you can hit a vein or an artery without even knowing what you're doing, and you could lose a lot of blood, and that could be even worse for you. Mm. Not to mention the transmission of bloodborne pathogens, especially if you don't clean before you do any piercing. You don't really know what's going to be on your skin there, so if there's something on your skin and you poke through the skin, that thing that's on your skin is going into your skin which is going into your body, which can really fuck you up, depending on what it is. Yeah. And you should definitely have bloodborne pathogens knowledge, if not full-on training as well. Mm -hmm. They do have bloodborne pathogens training. You can also get certain vaccinations through your health department. I can't remember what all ones are suggested. I only play with Wrecker in this way, so I haven't really done a whole lot of research into this. But I know that when I was um, a direct care professional, I had to have certain vaccinations because I was administering certain injections and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. if I were to get stuck, I needed to have, I yeah. think there was a hepatitis A and B mm -hmm. vaccination. And yeah. Yeah. You can also cause paralysis accidentally. This could be temporary or permanent. You could just hit a nerve just wrong mm -hmm. where it completely paralyzes that area for a few minutes or forever. And the scariest thing about paralysis is a lot of times you, even a doctor can't tell you if you're going to get it back or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, m most places that like, if you're doing this as an actual practice to, to play with, you shouldn't have any concerns with paralysis because we always try and stay away from areas that can cause that, basically. You can even, even if you're doing something in the arm, you can cause paralysis in the arm. Mm, that's true. Like, it, 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 I'm not just talking like, you know, paraplegia or no, quadriplegia, yeah. but you can cause paralysis in certain areas just by poking it wrong. True. Yeah, you could hit a nerve and yeah. Like my mom got that surgery in her ankle and they they mm. cut a nerve wrong. Mm. And they were like, eh, you may get feeling back in it. She hasn't yet. It's been two years. Wow. Maybe not two, year and a half. Anyway, uh, certain prescriptions and also drugs and alcohol can also thin the blood or decrease the blood pressure, both of which encourage blood loss and infection. The reason this encourages infection is because the blood is not clotting mm -hmm. and it's also not um, like with decreased blood pressure, it's not flushing out the stuff that's getting in. And with thinned blood, it is not clotting to keep stuff from getting in. And you need both of those. Yeah. That's why our body works the way it does. Yeah. It's always good to be aware with whoever you're playing with, whether they are on these certain prescriptions or if they have these conditions already, just to be kind of informed about it and try and get as much knowledge as you can before doing any kind of play like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So any kind of medical conditions which affect your immune system, your circulatory system, things that can cause seizures or blood sugar spikes or dips, or even blood pressure imbalances that affect sensory processing or nerve response can all affect how you play with the skink. It's always important to learn how your body reacts to these things and figure out your best ways to accommodate for yourself and for the person you're playing with. And it also helps to have that knowledge for if you were to play with someone new who has something similar or Something along those lines where you're already kind of prepared to know how to deal with these things and accommodate that person. Definitely. Yeah. So needles and blood are both triggers for a lot of people with fainting issues. And this can be a concern both with people who are inside the scene, the top and the bottom, and outside the scene. 
aka the audience. The bottom in a needle scene also has the added hormonal highs going on, which can increase the risk of syncope. The risks that are involved in fainting are hurting yourself in a fall, and also fainting may result in other medical dominoes falling. So when you are experiencing fainting or syncope, your body may be doing things while you're fainted or because you fainted or the reason that you fainted, and it could cause other issues as well. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's not great for you to be fainting. Yeah, no, it's not fun either. Yeah. Um, Another thing I'd like to point out, because I've had problems with syncope and fainting in the past, if you are the person that is fainting or having these feelings and you do fall, there is potential for you to hurt the other person who's trying to catch you or anyone in your area. Not only can you hurt yourself, you can hurt them. Mm-hmm. Especially being a bigger person myself, it's a lot easier for me to hurt someone just falling. To be honest, it's almost better to let me just fall. So, I yeah. mean, it's better Like now that we know that you have the issue. Mm-hmm. We can set you up in positions that if you did happen to faint, you're secure. No, yeah. And that's actually one of the ways that you can prevent harm is because if you also, if you're in the middle of a needle scene and your bottom passes out, th- they've got needles in their skin. Mm, yeah. So you want to make sure that they're in a position where if they fall the ne- with needles in their skin, they're still going to be safe. So essentially, if they pass out, they won't move. Yeah. Another way to prevent like audience members who may faint at the sight of, of needles or blood is to announce to non-dungeon rooms a couple of times before the scene. Uh, the reason I say non-dungeon rooms is because the dungeon is a quiet area typically, but in the non-dungeon areas, you can kind of go around to either you know, like typically they're small enough that you can just kind of walk up and be like, hey, I have something to say or like raise your hand, whatever, and just tell them that you're going to be doing needle scene in like an hour and then warn again in 30 minutes and then warn again before you go. I mean, just whatever to be able to get as many people warned Mm -hmm. so that if there's someone with a trigger for needles or blood, they can avoid it. Yeah. And you can also do your scene in a more private area. So like where someone would have to try to see what you're doing. Yeah. It's also good to let the dungeon monitors know just in case. Oh, yes, absolutely. That way they can kind of let other people know that, hey, this is going to be happening over here. And if people don't want to see that, they can kind of guide them away from where you're at. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Definitely. Another way to prevent fainting when you're doing a needle scene is to start low and go slow. You don't need to stick 20, 15 gauge needles through your eyelids in your first scene. Damn, that, that's, that's intense. Your eyelids would be Swiss cheese. You'd never sleep again. So yeah, you just, you don't have to go wild on your first scene. If your first scene is one needle, mm-hmm. that's great. That can sometimes tell you if you like it or not, or sometimes get you through the first scene of it. If you just need to kind of break the cherry there, break the ice there. Yeah. I think our first scene, we did, what, three needles? Five, maybe? Yeah. And we did one, and then we waited to see how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And then we did another one, and we just kind of slowly went and built our way up to five, Mm -hmm. or however many it was. I think it was five. Yeah. But, I mean, that was within, like, 30 minutes. No, yeah. It was, yeah. And we had someone there with us. Mm -hmm. And we had both taken classes on it before. Yeah. And had done research on it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Another thing is that anatomy knowledge is a must. And I'm not saying that you have to know, you know, the arm bone is connected to the whatever bone. You just have to know, like, the basics here. You can't pierce the wrists, hands, bones, eyes, spine, or internal organs without great, 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 great risk. Yep. There are so many nerves and muscles and, I mean, really most of these are just full of nerves. Yeah. That you just should not fuck with. And arteries. And, I mean, if you introduce... 
infection into something like the spine or an organ. Or your hand. I mean, okay, so like your hand, you could probably lose your hand or your arm. Mm -hmm. But your spine or your internal organs. Yeah, no, that'll. You could lose your life. Yeah. Yeah. It is also best to avoid places where there are lots of veins and arteries. Uh, They're kind of densely packed together. And these are places like the armpit, sternum, and the shaft of the penis. Yeah. Although I have seen piercing done on the penis before. I have too. And. Penis bleeds a lot, by the way. It does. A lot. It does. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would risk that personally Mm -hmm. as a top. No hate to someone that does. I just, I, I wouldn't feel okay if I did something that Mm -hmm. made you not be able to get hard again or made you not be able to pee right again or made you not be able to come right again. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who are really into CBT who like... Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. They'll nail their dick to a board. I mean, yeah. I've seen it. Well, I haven't seen it personally done, but like... And I've seen pictures. I've seen video before and... I've seen yeah. pictures. I'm not kink shaming. No, no. It was a lot and I was not prepared. Yeah. The face and genitals also have these dense arteries, veins, and nerves... And it really requires professional education and training to know how to avoid these. Without this education and training, you run the risk of paralyzing someone's face, genitals, and even having that paralyzation and damaged nerves travel further down because nerves are connected. Mm -hmm. And if you damage a nerve, it can trail further back into the body. Well, not only that, but nerves are connected in, like, the weirdest ways. Yeah. Because, like, you can damage a nerve in, like, your face or something, and then you're, you're having trouble with feeling in your arm. It, it, it's it's weird how our nerves are connected and, like, how they respond with each other. So It truly is. I was actually looking at a uh, a chart the other day in the doctor's office because, and it was very simplified, but I was just looking at the nerves that are basically corresponded to each vertebra Mm -hmm. because I have spinal issues and it was really interesting. Like you would not, I'll have to take a picture of it next time I'm in. You just would not think some of the things that are connected to different vertebra. Like it's just so interesting, Hmm. like that are connected to one another. Yeah. All right. So places that you would do want to pierce or have less likely chance of causing problems are so places like your meteor areas of the skin, like your thighs, the butt, breasts, back, and belly. These all have less dense clusters of arteries, veins, and nerves. So these are like your more safer areas to pierce or stick needles into. Your meteor areas like asteroids? No. So, your kit. Why am I not allowed to make the jokes? (laughs) So, some things that you might want in your kit if you are participating in piercing play. Starting off with disinfection. Yes. So, you always need something for disinfecting the skin where you're about to pierce or do your needle play. You can use betadine, iodine, alcohol for the skin... If you use iodine, I would recommend getting iodine removal pads because that shit gets everywhere and stains everything. Be sure you are ready for dealing with allergies. If people have allergic reactions to any of these disinfectants. And have different options in case someone is allergic to one of them. Yeah. And like let you know that. Alcohol is usually like a safe bet. Um, I don't think anybody's really like allergic to alcohol. It's very rare. And it evaporates really quickly, so... Mm. Um, but there are people that have severe iodine allergies. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, everything for your scene should be set up before you sterilize what's needed and glove up. Yeah. So, if you don't have everything set up for your scene before you get gloved up, you could get gloved up and have to reach back in your bag for something, and then those mm-hmm. gloves are no longer sterile. Also for like disinfecting the area, 
you'll want antimicrobial wipes. This is because bacteria is not the only contaminant that could be in the area. So you'll want antimicrobial wipes, which will also take care of things like other bloodborne pathogens, viruses, things mm -hmm. like that. And you can also get sterile surgical pads. These are basically like, they almost look like puppy pads, honestly. And they're like in these sterile little packs. If you've gotten any kind of surgery, you've probably seen them. You just kind of unfold them and they're this sterile little pad of hospital shit. <laughs> and you, you know, disposable hospital shit. Yeah. Uh, and you do what you need to do on it. And then you just bundle it up and throw it all away in a biohazard bag. Yes. Another thing you can get is, I think it's chlorhexidine. Oh, yep. Spray. It basically kills everything that exists. No, uh, chlorhexidine is really good at getting rid of any kind of virus or bacteria, or I think it even takes care of like fungal type stuff too. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really takes out everything. Yeah. Yeah. Next category of our kit is PPE. That is personal protective equipment. Yay. Oh my goodness. Wow, that was a stumble and a half. Personal protective equipment. First off, we have gloves. Mm -hmm. Yes. You'll really like what would be best is to get the gloves that are like packed in pairs, individually wrapped kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, if you get them out of a bulk box, they are already not sterile. Yeah, because like as soon as you grab one out of there, you probably touch the other ones in there. And then the more you grab, the more you touch the other ones, basically. Well, in a cardboard box is not. No, yeah. Airtight. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why that is a standard in healthcare just to use those, but maybe they know things I don't. But you can disinfect the gloves once they're on as well, but the individually wrapped pairs are best. Also be ready for latex allergies. So mm -hmm. have vinyl. Vinyl or nitrile gloves. Thank you. Nitrile. That's the ones I yeah. was thinking of. Um, nitrile is like the most common and I have very rarely heard people being allergic to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I I would recommend those. Plus they come in like different sizes for your hands it's not the one size fits all gloves yeah that are not one size fits all also <laughs> if you are a needle bottom and you have special needs for your allergies or for your conditions maybe you could have your own kit too mm -hmm. because as much as needle tops should be preparing for as many situations as they can one, we don't have the technology of the TARDIS or of the bag of holding for our kits. And two, most of us do not have unlimited income. Mm -hmm. So if you have like a very specific need for a scene, make sure that you either let someone know well ahead of time, get that agreement that they're going to get that, or the agreement that you're going to get that. Mm-hmm. Actually, another thing I just thought of, um, and I don't know if this is true or not, so I don't know if we should keep it in, but um, if you do have a latex allergy, a lot of times like the needles themselves can be made with latex, because I know a lot of medical supplies and equipment are made with latex. I will have to do some research into that. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Actually, that is interesting, because I remember one time when I was getting my spinal injections... Mm -hmm. they, at the very fucking last second, he asked me, you don't have a latex allergy, do you? I said, yeah, I do. And he had to throw away everything that was out. Yeah. And that included the syringe and, and the, the needle. needle. Yeah. So I don't know if it was because it had already touched something or if it's just procedure. So it looks like on the box of needles, sometimes it will say latex free. Yes. So, yeah. another thing you can add to your kit is like drop cloths or tarps that can also include those sterile surgical pads. This just kind of keeps the blood and anything else within one area. Blood does not necessarily just drip down. No. 
So you want to be sure to A, have permission because blood play is not always allowed, and also figure out what the proper procedures are, and at the very least have an area tarped off, ground clothed off. Yeah, um, if you're looking for a cheaper alternative to tarps, because they can be expensive, mm-hmm. um, you can actually go to the dollar store and get um, the dis- like the shower curtains, because mm-hmm. they're only like a dollar, and you use it once and you throw it away. Yep. It's, it's real cheap and easy. Yeah, I mean, like them cheap and easy. They're not necessarily like sterile. I would say they weren't really sterile but I no mean, but they're not to put on the wound or anything no yeah so, you know, so it's mainly just be... to catch everything basically yeah. <laughs> i would think that would be fine yeah and if you just as a note because this was an issue at a con we went to if you drop a needle you need to immediately stop everything and find it immediately stop everything let a dm know and start looking for it mm-hmm when we went to this con where there was a needle dropped and someone stepped on it later and they didn't even know the person from Adam that had been in the scene with the needles. So that's pretty scary in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes. On that note, you should always properly dispose of your needles or any kind of anything that has any kind of biohazardous material on it, waste, etc., in a sharps container or a biohazard bag. It's not too expensive to buy your own little sharps container for your needles. Yeah. I think we got ours for like five, ten bucks on Amazon or something. Yeah, I think it was like seven bucks. And I believe you can get them for fairly cheap, if not free, at the health department and at like pharmacies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I think most pharmacies will give you one for real cheap or for free, especially if you're like need to use needles all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think you can actually just take it back to the pharmacy to, and they'll dispose of it for you. Yes. Yeah. That is how to properly dispose of a sharps container. Yeah. Do not throw your sharps containers away in the garbage. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'll also want to include in your kit needles. You will want sterile, individually wrapped, never opened, single-use hypodermic needles. They'll probably want to be at least an inch and a half long. 18 to 25 gauge is probably the range that most people stay around. Mm-hmm. Beginners will typically do best at like a 22 or 24 gauge. Those are pretty small. Yeah. I did read somewhere, and I could not confirm, so I don't know. But I did read that veterinary needles are made to pierce animal skin and have a different bevel and are sharpened at a different angle, which can cause micro tears to the tissue as it pierces to the skin. It makes it feel more blunt. So take that with the grain of salt that it is worth. (laughs) I mean, they're essentially the same thing, but they're just designed to do... Designed for different skin types, basically. Because mm-hmm. an animal's skin is going to be a lot thicker, so it's got to get through more tissue to get in there, basically. So it has to be a little more blunt yeah, to pierce through all that skin. Whereas human skin is a little thinner, so the needles are a lot sharper, so they don't hurt as bad, Yeah, basically. So there's less resistance. So just something to keep in mind. There are people who do use bigger gauge needles. Those are more usually more experienced needle players. There are some people who use really, really big needles that need like an autoclave to be cleaned properly. I've seen some really, really intense needle play that has like long ass fucking eight, six gauge needles. No, yeah, they're they're freaking huge. So I mean, you can get really intense with it and Mm -hmm. really extreme with it if you wanted to but it's best to start off with your 18 to 25 gauge needles we have 22 gauge needles um it's usually like the standard i think to start Mm -hmm. out with around there because they're fairly thin um pretty easy to work with so yeah yeah they're not as easily bent as some of the smaller gauges Mm -hmm. on that note 
once a needle has pierced skin or has pierced anything or has been dropped or has hit something, it's done. It's used. That has been its single use. The smallest bump or attempt at piercing or anything like that can bend the very tip of it and make it near ineffective and cause a bunch of damage if you push it through the skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the points of needles are very fine for a reason, and they can very easily be bent or crushed, damaged. Yeah, and and you can... can't, you may not even notice. No, yeah, you wouldn't notice because it's so small. Like mm-hmm. you'd have to like get a magnifying glass to look and see. Yeah, and even then, like you don't even know because it's so sharp. I mean, as soon as you use that needle once, it's not as sharp anymore. Yeah. Even if you're using it for its intended purpose, it's not going to be as sharp anymore. hmm So, always make sure that you have caps with your needles. They usually come capped. So, it's best to... What we do is, like, once we're done with the needles, take them out, put the caps back on, then put them... What? That's not... the. You're not supposed to do that, technically. They suggest you don't recap them oh. because that that increases your likelihood of a stick rather than just shoving it in the sharps box. Oh, like directly after. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but you can use the cap once it's through because mm-hmm. usually you pierce it through so that like you pinch the skin and pierce it through so that there's a piece of needle sticking out the other side. Mm-hmm. And you can take that cap and as long as it's still been in your hand and is still sterile and just slide the needle into it so that it doesn't poke anything. It doesn't poke anything. It doesn't poke you. It doesn't get in the way of the other ones, etc. Yeah. They also make end caps that I hear. I didn't do any research on this, but I've been told before that they make little end caps for them, but I don't know. I just use the the caps they come with. Mm-hmm. You have to be very careful because there is a risk of poking yourself. Yes. Unfortunately, these people that made the rule of not recapping a needle also were not doing, you know, decorative needle art on someone's skin for sexual pleasure. Hmm? <laughs> I, I, hmm? Just an assumption. That is an assumption. But I think it's a pretty safe one. Yeah. You can also pack some needle clippers, and these would just basically be used for, like we said, there's a piece of needle sticking out the other end of the skin. If that were to get bent somehow, Mm, you would need to clip off the bent part and be able to pull it through, or clip off the very end. And pull it through that one. Where the, yeah, yeah, on the other side, and pull it through the non-bent side. Yeah. You can also include things like surgical skin markers. This helps with, as we talked about, decorative needlework. Mm -hmm. And this can seriously be so beautiful. And with surgical skin markers, you can kind of map it out, do like a pattern, as you said. And then you can use the needles to make the pattern. And then you string, ribbon, feathers, all kinds of stuff to decorate it and just make it really pretty. I would also like to point out that surgical skin markers are supposed to be single-use as well. Yes. So they, I mean, they're supposed to be single-use, but it's, I would say it'd be okay if you just use one marker per person, basically. Like, if you're going to be playing with this person for a while. Yeah, because, I mean, it's made, like, you wipe alcohol over it. Yeah, and it's not supposed to go away. Yeah, because it's made to stay. Yeah. After disinfection. So, yeah, I would think that... Because we've done that. I know we've done that. But, yeah, but yeah, I would think that that would be okay as long as... Yeah, I would... If you're going to... If you're going to get these markers, you can get them on Amazon. They're not too expensive. Um, but they're specifically designed to mark on skin. And it's supposed to stay there so you can see where you marked after you, like, wipe it with alcohol and everything. Mm-hmm. And it stays there. But I would recommend, like, using that... The same marker for the same person, basically. Yeah. Don't use that same marker for everybody. Right. Yeah. 
within your needle kit, you should also have a first aid kit. Bandages, gauze, tape, smelling salts in case someone faints. Bleed stop powder is also really good to have in case a slip happens and a little more blood is being lost than anticipated. Mm-hmm. And this last one isn't about your kit, but your environment. You want to make sure that you have good lighting or provide your own. It would behoove you to have a a small flashlight in your kit. Yeah. It's always good to see what you're doing because a lot of times dungeons are not the most well lit. It's meant to be like kind of an intimate environment. So the lights are usually a lot dimmer. So being able to see what you're doing, especially when you're stabbing someone's skin um, would be beneficial. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Blankets and pillows are also good for comfort during the scene and after beware of blood getting on the blankets or pillows. If that does happen, like we said, it's always best to use a drop cloth or tarp or something to prevent that from happening. But if blood does get on a blanket or pillow, that's pretty much your blanket or pillow now, or it's going to be thrown away. My thing is you should bring your own pillows and blankets. Oh, that too. Yeah. You should not be using the dungeons, pillows, and blankets for a needle scene. Hmm. For any type of blood scene. Yeah. For any type of fluid scene. I would bring my own pillow and blanket, definitely have them be something that can be washed, and if a stain happens, it happens. You can get sanitizing laundry detergent, and also just good old bleach. Look up how to sanitize the material that you are wanting to use before you need to. You know, look it up before you add it to your kit so you make sure that that type of material can be sanitized correctly. You'll also want to have nearby, in case someone gets nauseous, a bucket or a trash can or even some MSS bags in your kit I think would be good. And you should always keep some water nearby for every scene, honestly, but especially for like blood play. Make sure that your bottom is staying hydrated and that you are staying hydrated as well as a top. And snacks are always good for aftercare. Beware if they are not allowed in the dungeon, but make sure that the person has eaten well that day and has like snacks on hand. You can also bring like, I always have a variety of snacks in my little bag, if I'm honest, but you can bring all kinds of snacks with you. Yeah. All right. Let's get into negotiation. Yeah, so what do you need to negotiate with a needle scene? Yes. You need to negotiate all the things. Yes. So, yes. Make sure you, the person you're playing with, has a blood borne pathogens test, regular STD tests, just to make sure... That you're not going to transmit anything between yeah. one another. And I would suggest getting those results instead of just taking someone's word for it. Mm-hmm. Just make that like a rule because if you break the rule once, then you break the rule for everybody. And then why is it a rule? There should also be risk awareness from all parties. All people engaged need to understand what is going on with the scene. There should really be some experience with needles in the past. Mm -hmm. But you definitely need to talk about what kind of experience someone has, whether that be none or bad experiences or wonderful experiences or 20 years of all the above. And this is to basically better understand as a top, the possible reactions that your bottom may have. And as a bottom, understand the skill that the top has and make sure that you can trust them in a needle scene. And don't just take their word for it. If you've never met them and they tell you they've been in the scene for 20 years and they don't look a day over 30, you Mm. might definitely ask around. I would vet someone before I even negotiated with them, but that's just me. Um, Ask for references. Yeah. If they're not going to give you references, you don't need to play with them. (laughs) Also negotiate. How many needles do you want? Yes. Where do you want them? Yes. What kind of pattern or design? Yes. Do you want decoration? Ribbons? String? Feathers? I can't think of anything else, and I keep saying those three things. Googly eyes. I guess you could use googly eyes on needles. Yeah. Why not? Mm, No, googly eyes would be bad. The glue. You You are correct. You don't want the glue in you. You are correct. (laughs) 
Never mind, do not use googly eyes on needles. <laughs> Sanitation standards should be understood by both parties during a negotiation. If you are a bottom, make sure that the top knows and understands and wants to follow sanitation standards that are up to par with yours. If you are a top, make sure that the bottom understands your sanitation standards and why you are doing the things that you are doing so that they don't reach down and start playing with the needles with their dirty, grubby hands. Yes. Also, figure out if they want aftercare afterwards, if that's desired or if they don't need aftercare. Or if you're willing to offer it or not. Yes. Yeah. Not everyone offers aftercare. And not everyone needs aftercare. So right. keep that in mind. Right. And not everyone thinks of aftercare as the same thing. Yes. I consider aftercare a smoke and a conversation. Someone who adamantly does not provide aftercare may be okay with this type of activity, even if it is not aftercare for them. Aftercare for me could be as simple as talking and having a cigarette or a drink. Uh, or it could be go all the way up to having sex. Yeah. I mean, it can range for a lot of people. And sometimes people need space. People need you to literally mm-hmm. leave them the fuck alone. Yeah. Our partner, Alan, does not do aftercare. Yeah. For that very reason. They will do like cigar service or tea service or coffee service or cannabis service, boots. Mm-hmm. And... For me, that is aftercare, and they understand that. And yeah. for them, it is not, and I understand that, and that is okay. Yeah. So, what are some of the different types of needle and piercing play that are done today in kink? We have, as we've talked about, the art with medical play and piercing type needles. There's patterns and designs, strings and ribbons and feathers. There's temporary piercings, and this can also be done as a performance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Seen some very performative needle scenes, very beautifully done. You can also do sadistic play with medical or piercing needles. This can actually increase the risk of infection or scarring, usually. A lot of times, this is using like larger gauge needles, like I talked about before, moving them around once they're in the skin, twisting and pulling on them. Do it. it, pull it, tap yeah. it, <laughs> pull it. <laughs> Some people like to do impact on top of the needles. Bop it. Some people do playing with buttons, which buttons are when you actually cross. You do one needle and then you put another needle underneath. Like perpendicular. Perpendicular, yeah. So it like makes like a, a raised, like extra sensitive spot, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can Where be they... like a... Where they intersect. Where they intersect, yeah. like the X, the center of the X. Mm-hmm. Um, people like to do that and like mess with those. They get real sensitive. They can do tapping on the needles or drumming. We used to have a friend who was a drummer. He had some drumsticks specially made with like little leather. They were basically like little riding, like little riding crops. And he would do needles on his submissive and then drum them out of her. Mm -hmm. Literally drum the needles out of her skin. It was really interesting. Remember that anything that touches anywhere near the needle sites needs to be sanitized. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can also do like pressing on the needles and just kind of messing with them and stuff. And this is, like I said, this is more of the sadistic side of the play. Definitely. Yeah. You can also do electro play on needles. Mm. You can use the needles as basically conduits within the body. And I have heard that it creates a very interesting and different sensation. And you can also do predicaments, such as like piercing the lips together so that they can't speak. Or as we talked about before, like chastity piercings, where you pierce their other lips together mm-hmm. so they can't touch themselves or they can't fuck. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other predicaments you could do. I know. You could use this piercing to chain someone to a mm-hmm. to a wall or to a... Themself. Yeah. Yeah, you can get into some predicament bondage with that too, with mm-hmm. piercings. Although be careful with that because pulling on the piercings can actually lead to them being more infected, possibly, or even tearing out. Yes. So be very careful with that. Yes. 
It's called predicament bondage for a reason, because yes. there is a predicament that is about to happen. <laughs> yeah, and you definitely don't want them to like tear out either. So No, yeah. And of course, there's body modification, where the body piercings have permanent jewelry. And this is done for aesthetic reasons sometimes. Could be done for medical reasons. I got a piercing which helps with my migraines. I haven't had migraines in over a decade because of them, really. I've only had a handful in that decade. They can also be spiritual, ritualistic, or symbolic. Mm -hmm. Body piercings can be a sign of ownership or a sign of commitment. Yeah. Any kind of piercing you do is a type of body modification, whether it's permanent or not. True. Yeah. All right. And lastly here, we want to talk about a couple of things. I'm going to explain what they are. And then we're going to talk about why we're going to talk about some stuff. Some of the lines you shouldn't cross with them. Yeah. So hook pulls and hook suspension. This is often done for spiritual and recreational reasons. And this is basically uh, where hooks or needles are pierced into the skin, typically the back or chest, but it can vary. And a line is attached to the hook on one end. The other end is attached to another person's hooks. A person could be holding the lines, could be hooked to a solid object. Basically, the object or the, the object of the game, the the motive is to put pressure against these hooks. It's a hook pull. Yeah. Hook suspension is the same hook, same types of hooks piercing into the skin, but the lines are attached to suspend the person off of the ground. Yes. Hook suspension is usually done through the back, like upper back area. Um, and it's a lot more extreme to do a suspension because you're literally hanging from hooks through your skin, like mm -hmm. your whole body weight. Whereas like a hook pull, you can kind of control how much the is being pulled on by, mm -hmm. the, by the hooks. Yeah. I mean, these are both very risky, but especially hook suspension. And you have to know, I mean, it's like a very fine calculation. You have to know how much skin is needed between the line and the hook. Mm -hmm. You need to know what gauge of needle or hook you need, what strength of line. I mean, you have to know everything. You can also dip into cultural appropriation. Yes. And that is really what we're going to talk about here lastly. Yeah. And oops, I guess I already have it up. And I thought about summarizing and trying to figure out how to say all of this in my own words, but why? Because it's already written in wonderful words by people that it affects. So this is the House of Irons Declaration Against Non-Indigenous Sanctioned Hook Pulls in Leather, Kink, and BDSM Spaces. In alignment with the declaration made by the Lakota Summit 5 in June 1993, House of Iron stands united with the indigenous communities in their efforts to prevent the exploitation of Native American cultures, particularly their sacred traditions and spiritual practices. We recognize the significance of preserving and protecting cultural and intellectual property, including sacred objects, artifacts, artistic achievements, and the remains of ancestors. The abuse and misappropriation of Lakota spirituality by non-Indian individuals is of great concern to us. We condemn the desecration, mockery, and commercialization of precious Lakota traditions, such as hook bulls, led by non-Native peoples. This describes any kink practice, even if it is conducted as a spiritual ritual. As the first recognized indigenous leather house, we feel it is our responsibility to take a strong stance against the exploitation of sacred Lakota traditions. We firmly believe that the sacredness of our practices should not be compromised or commercialized for profit or entertainment. In light of this, House of Iron emphatically declares that we do not condone any spiritual pulls unless they are conducted by indigenous individuals who hold the necessary cultural and spiritual knowledge. We firmly oppose any hook pulls that are organized for the enjoyment, entertainment, eroticism, or profit of a non-native audience as this constitutes a disrespectful and harmful appropriation of our sacred traditions. 
We urge producers of Hook Pulls events to take accountability for their actions and seek reparation. This is signed Miss J. House of Iron, Grandmother Judy Tallwing McCarthy, Phoenix Two-Spirit, Lady Katerina, Sir Blue, Robbie Robinson, and our own Boot Black Allen. I would also like to recognize the following cultures originating outside of Turtle Island who also do a form of body suspension as sacred ritual. The Taipusam Festival celebrated by the Tamil Hindu community on the full moon in the Tamil month of Thai, January-February. The Shirak Puja, a Hindu folk festival in honor of the god Shiva. So the reason that we read this straight out of House of Iron's FetLife page is because we stand in alignment with their declaration as well. We fully support this. We did not want to use our voices to speak over anyone in the indigenous community regarding these issues, but rather to enhance the reach that the message has. Yeah. So, in closing, needles and piercings can be really fun. Yeah. And as long as we are steering clear of cultural appropriation, we can have a lot of fun with it. We can have a lot of sadistic fun. We can have a lot of, ooh, pretty fun. I mean, it's kind of endless. Yeah, there's a lot you can do with it, and it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Hey, did we mention that it's fun? It's fun. Fun. Now, Daddy, would you please lead us out with a Daddy joke? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, did you hear about the guy whose whole left side got amputated? No. It's okay. He's all right now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>